I believe that we are the one who can, without pushing and without inducing anything, can support the growth of our children. Hello, everyone. This is the Montessori Mother Podcast. I'm Caitlin from Montessori Mother Early Learning Center in Berlin, Germany. Today, we are joined by Chloe Huth, a family psychologist and sleep specialist. You may know her as the genius behind The Sleepy Baby, and she's also opened her new family therapy practice called Parents of Berlin. She's here today to talk with us about finding a balanced sleep routine with your little one and how to find happiness. Thank you for volunteering your time with us today, Chloe. Thank you for the invitation. It's such a pleasure to see you again. Yes. We've known each other for a long time, haven't yes. we? It feels like we've always known each other. What are, just so we can give some background information, what are some ways that we've worked together in the past? We did a few um, workshops together. Um, I think we did like two about babies, sleep and interactions and a um, few on uh, toddlers and uh, how to navigate with their development and uh, their sleep. Yes, we did. So that's how we met, isn't it? We started to do workshops and then we planned another and another and here we are and here you are. Congratulations on your new practice. Thank it's you. It's absolutely beautiful. It's really exciting. It is. So shall we jump into some questions I've been receiving from parents recently yes. about sleep? Please. Okay. So what is the difference between the way that babies find rest and the way that toddlers find rest? And when do they make this transition from sleeping like a baby to sleeping like a toddler? What's the difference? It's difficult for me to draw a clear, a clear line. Because so sleep is the brain process mainly and hormonal uh, process as well. So the sleep of a child is tremendously changing during those first six years of its life. You can uh, from that clearly distinguish somehow the sleep that a child before two and after two years uh, has. So from the birth until a child is two years old is where you can observe the main changes and transformations in their sleep because it's also the period where they go through the main and most important changes in their, even in their entire life, I would say. So we learn to to walk, to speak, uh, to like to eat, to communicate uh, more precisely, and so this is they, they go through a lot and they learn a lot, and this is disturbing their sleep a lot without uh, even speaking about teething, for example. Um, so the first step that a child needs to um, approach sleep on a more mature way, if I can say so. It's like uh, having the circadian rhythm fixed in, in, their, in their system. So when a child is four months old, then they start to understand or 
to feel circadian rhythms or what is night, what is day, when it's time to rest, when it's time to play and eat. So this is the first important milestone in their sleep pattern. After that, um, maybe the, the different phases in separation anxiety are also having a strong impact. And the last separation anxiety period is at two years. So when that's done, since sleep is a separation in a way, then they can sleep like toddlers. So I will, I will draw these two. And what about the sleeping and waking cycles and the way that their changes in their body affect their sleep? So the way that their body digests food, um, how often they need to eat and waking up for eating, how does that change from baby to toddler? And when does that start to, to change? It depends a lot of fact, like a lot of the environmental factors, because the later a baby is introduced to solids, for example, the later that baby can go for the night without eating. So it's difficult to to say exactly a precise moment when uh, children don't don't eat, don't have to eat anymore at night. So the later the solids are coming in, the later uh, the digestive system is maturing or the slower the digestive system is maturing. So the more time they need before they can make that step. So in Montessori, the first foods are introduced around five and six months, just um, for the experience of introducing solids. And then around 12 months, they are weaned onto their meals are completely solid food yeah so in the 12 month old child for example who is now eating only solids is he waking up in the night he's not waking up at night anymore he's sleeping through so it's really connected to yes their relationship not their relationship but their body's um yeah metabolism yes exactly yeah so a child who is uh um like, yeah, mainly eating solids at 12 months should be able to sleep through the night without difficulties. It's a, it's, it's a very complex process because as long as a child is eating during the night, then the calories that uh, he or she is eating during the night is a part of his intact calories on 24 hours. So it takes... Um, a certain amount of adaptation time when you want to ta- take that away. On the top of that, eating during the night is disturbing sleep because the food is not just sitting on their bellies, right? It has to be digested. So the longer they eat during the night, the more time they need to have uh, mature sleep cycles as well because then the sleep cycle is um, interrupted by the digestion and maybe that's why sleep is for me such an interesting topic and why it has to be really um, fitting families uh, differently or children differently because it's so many aspects that are coming in how a child is sleeping it's about the digestion it's about the light it's about the mood uh, in the family before um, going to sleep. It's about who is sleeping 
with them. When these persons are coming to sleep in the same room, are they sleeping the whole night there when, from when they are going to bed? Are they coming later? Uh, what is the environment outside? Is it very quiet? Is it sudden noise? Do you have like this, even this city-wide noise can be calming and smoothing? Or is it like these countryside noises? Or do you have ambulances passing by sometime? Does this uh, child had um, some medical issues um, younger who like maybe uh, interrupt the, uh, the way sleep could, could start in, in its life? So it's, it's a lot, it's a, like the, the bed, like uh, this is also a very important topic in, in the, the Montessori philosophy. Mm -hmm. How, where the child is sleeping, in his own room, with his parents, with his sibling? Is it a child that needs to have like a, a corner to find reassurance? Is the child a like blanket or not? How uh, warm is the room? How cold is the room? It's, and I mean, for me, I found that fascinating, but it's There's um, so many factors. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot of different factors. And yes, indeed, um, digestion is one of them. And like the, like the way also, because you're, the question was like how we can draw the line between the sleep of a baby and the sleep of a toddler. I think also for toddlers, this all discovery of the emotional world and how they live their emotion more strongly, how curious they are about others' emotions um, and how available they are to to receive that, to feel that. This is also having a very strong impact on the way they sleep because you have to introduce that in their life um, for, for them to, to sleep well. Like if you have many questions in your head or if you have some unprocessed emotions from your day, you don't sleep well. I would not sleep well. Um, and that's something completely new when it comes to toddlers, like babies uh, who will have like strong impressions uh, or insights during their day will cry to let it out, mm -hmm. to process it. They will, even if it, it was something very happy, like uh, it's not always something negative that is making babies cry. But when it was a lot, when it was a full day, even if it's full of beauty, they might just cry it out. With a toddler, it's a bit more complex. You have to explore that word with them in order for them to, to find enough like peacefulness uh, to fall asleep and not have nightmares or waking up during the night to have to ask the reassurance from their parents. And The toddler is interacting so much more with their environment and I find that they can get they can get very easily overstimulated because they are seeking information. They're seeking stimulation and challenge all day long. They have a lot of determination and a lot of energy and a lot of curiosity for life. At the same time, they want to have more autonomy over their bodies and over their, they want to make their own choices, especially about taking care of themselves, feeding themselves, finding sleep. And these two mixed together of 
feeling overwhelmed at the end of the day, not because, like, as you said, even if the day was full of beauty and discovery, they still have been processing so much all day. They're exhausted mentally, but they still have the need for that autonomy. And when they try to find sleep, it's difficult for them. They want it so bad, but they are not um, rested. So they need their parents so much to help them find calm. But the way they express their emotions is often with crying. And it looks like a tantrum, but it's a release. And that's very hard to hear your child releasing those feelings because you think, oh, I need to help them. I need to soothe them. I need to make it stop. Yeah, it's um, it's two two very important things I think in what you say. Like the first is like this um, this ambiguity in how toddlers feel about sleep because on one side they they need to have this reassurance from their parents. Uh, some of them because they don't know at all how it looks to uh, fall asleep more independently, and. Um, on the other side, they just want to do that on their own. Like this is a misunderstanding that we have sometimes with children where they are like kind of seeking our attention or our comfort and at the same time being rejecting. And um, I, this is something that I share a lot with parents. It's like when your child is showing you that he wants to do things on his own, Put his shoes, put his clothes, like putting uh, uh, his plate on the table, um, brushing his hair, like all these signs of independence. Or when your child is also showing more of its boundaries, it's it's. I think it's like a great timing to introduce um, more independence at bedtime as well. Because why? during all day asking for that and not at bedtime too. Because it's, this question is often um, coming to me like, but how do I know it's the right moment? And um, my answer is often your child knows, is showing it to you. Mm-hmm. Not They're very by, connected, all yeah. of these things. The basic we say in Montessori, the child wants functional independence yeah. and at the toddler age, which means having control over their eating, their sleeping, and their uh, toileting. Eating, sleeping, and toileting. And these come um, at the same time, basically. Yes. They're they're very connected. Let's talk a little bit about crying. That's a very important topic to me, and I think it became even uh, more important in the the last year. The more experience I have with families, the more that topic is, is important to me. So often parents who are coming to me are coming to me because they know that I don't do this uh, crying out method. So they're expecting no cries. And I often find myself reminding them that crying is a way of communicating. It's the, the primary communication that uh, babies have and children later uh, that that's how you say it was a lot I'm uncomfortable I'm frustrated I'm overwhelmed oh my god that's it and uh, I think like when a baby is born every cry is an emergency Uh, 
you like mothers who just gave birth are very very sensitive sensible to that and it's uh, it's our instinct in a way every cry is an emergency every cry is kind of like a, a call to action in a way um, however the more uh, babies are growing and even more if you go uh, towards toddlers the more I guess it has to slowly stop becoming um, emergency and a call to action but first somewhere where you can practice compassion before doing anything so listening to, to cries it's something that uh, I like to think of so before doing anything before getting very agitated uh, think listening to it like what does my child um, want to say there okay maybe he's just frustrated maybe he's very tired and maybe it's nothing else to do than being there and having compassion which is I hear you I hear it's hard for you I can see you're having a hard time and that I love you that's that's fine for me um, because children needs to be heard seen and loved and I can't repeat that enough I think and um, so when they're crying if you can hear them see them and love them um, that's the best uh, that you can do sometimes we don't have the right answer and it's not making us bad parents you know sometimes it's not about what we do it's about the way they feel yeah so cries are not always something that we have to make well and especially at night I think that the cry is a natural instinct and we've spoken about this before that when a child is asleep he has the instinct to cry when he wakes up because perhaps there's danger uh, he's sleeping is something that they are doing alone so they want to make sure someone's nearby that's going to take care of them and it's just a protective instinct mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that there is necessarily i mean something has stimulated their wake-up response but it doesn't mean that there's something wrong it could have been an ambulance it could have been mm -hmm. um you know they got too warm i mean it could be a number of things uh, but they're crying out of instinct and it doesn't mean that there's something that needs to be solved right away mm -hmm. it could just be i'm awake i'm crying oh my mom's here i'm safe everything is fine okay i can go to bed now yeah and also because their their sleep cycles are so immature that they they will they will need to fall back to sleep so it's no such a thing as sleeping for the night without waking up like nobody's doing that neither you or, or me like we do wake up many times like the average uh for an adult is 10 times per night but we just keep sleeping for for children it's a bit different they have to fall back to sleep so it's a bit more dynamic mechanism if we can say so and for older babies or, or toddlers 
you have to let them that time to fall back to sleep. And sometimes they will cry and then fall back to sleep. And this cry was not, come pick me up or come feed me. That's why it's important to listen. Obviously, if the child is crying and if the child is calling or if the child is hungry, then it's, it needs a response. But it's not always the case. And sometimes parents are surprised to realize that they go so fast to the room that they actually do wake up their baby even more. Especially with turning yeah. on a light or picking them up straight away. Yeah. This definitely wakes them up straight away. What about night terrors? Can you talk about night terrors or just bad dreams in general? So this is usually happening when uh, children are around three years old. Um, because you you kind of need a lot of um, cognition around that mechanism because it's a lot of imagination, thinking of what could be there that you don't see, uh, what it could be, uh, how it could be dangerous uh, for you. Like it's it's a pretty complex thing in, in that sense. So it's like around three years. What is happening before is not called nightmare or night terrors. What is coming from three years old on is a nightmare or night terrors. Usually it's happening when children are going to bed too tired because their sleep cycle are not that well connected. So what the brain has to process can come through more easily. So that's one of uh, one factor. The other factor will be unprocessed strong emotions. Once again, a bit like for us. So children who are, for example, bilingual or trilingual are more inclined to have these kind of nightmares or nightmares because often they don't have the vocabulary yet to speak out their emotions or describe what happened for them. Uh, I think this is very interesting that uh, this is recent discoveries. So as parents, we can definitely try to support them through that by integrating, speaking about the emotions more. I, I like to advise parents to do this. What was the best moment? What was the worst moment of your day? Kind of thing uh, at supper or when the child is taking the bath, like in the last... Um, the last moments of, of, um, of the day. Um, the parents can start that because at the beginning, children don't really know how it can look like. And it's like, okay, my favorite moment was when we had a walk outside and we could listen to the birds. And I, it made me very joyful and I was very happy to share that with you. And I really like to feel the sun on my skin. And my worst moment was um, when I, I don't know, I don't have a bad moment example right now. You stub your toe. Yes. When I, yeah, I walk into the shelf and hurt my toe because I felt a lot of pain and I felt a bit uh, shameful because everybody looked at me. And uh, so like this, you can start to introduce what feels good, what feels bad and a bit more like complex feelings because good and bad is definitely not enough. Like uh, the concept of 
of uh, joy or shame or guilt or uh, sharing happiness all that kind of thing are more complex and toddlers definitely are seeking for that and they feel everything so intensely exactly in the present moment so this is something you can do when you can say yours your partner can say some or the grandmother or the babysitter or the older sibling whatever and this can be a great tool to help process emotions and help toddlers to go to bed without this and process uh, emotion that could create or induce uh, nightmares and night terrors or just unrestful sleep right yes because you said if they go to sleep when they're over exhausted or have had a, a very stimulating day their rest will not be uh, very restful they will yeah. be more likely to wake up yeah more times in the night yes what would you say about you know an older child who is having these wake up responses very very often and i mean obviously you're going to remove any sleep props that they have mm -hmm. first but after we've done that for example we've already had success with getting rid of all of their um you know extra associations what is the next step to helping them sleep through the night stability mm -hmm. stability um so if One day you expect to fall back to sleep in their bed. Next day you're tired. You take them in your bag. The day after they're asking for uh, eating something and you give them something to eat. This is chaotic. Um, and children need to like build patterns and you build patterns through repetition to make sense of things. So... When a child is waking up during the night, it should be night, which is nothing is happening at night. You don't speak during the night. You can speak next day, next morning about what happened during the night. You don't start to have a dialogue in, during the night. You don't eat during the night. Um, and during at night, you know where you're supposed to sleep. So... Is it that every time your child wake up that, that you take your child to your bed? Or is it that you expect your child to always keep sleeping in his bed? You have to be clear with that in order to give a clear answer that will feel safe uh, for, for the child. And in safety, you can find sleep. And if children have this kind of safety, then they will wake up during the night Like we all do there's nothing bad about it and just keep sleeping i think also sometimes we simply have to tell them what to do like this sounds very simple for us because we're used to that but sometimes it's just to say you know i also wake up during the night that's that's nothing wrong about it you can just close your eyes and keep sleeping mm -hmm. I also um, recommend to give, in Montessori, we say a presentation on what to do when you wake up in the night and it just whatever you do. So this is what I do when I wake up in the night. First, I flip my pillow. I make sure my blanket is laid on my feet or I take my socks off. That's what I do. 
um, and just show them what are your tools for getting back to sleep when yes. you wake up. I reach for my, my water bottle and have a sip of water or whatever it is. Maybe you choose like two, one or two or three things and then show them this is what you do when you wake up at night and then you close your eyes. And my favorite is flipping the pillow because it's something that they can do and they can they really take it quite seriously. Like, oh, I've woken up, I flip my pillow and I put it back. <laughs> I might start to do that. I love I, that's my favorite <laughs> presentation to to recommend. Yes. Also, I think it's important to mention that it's not necessary to do one specific routine with your child it's just important to choose the routine which you are happy with and it works for your child so it doesn't mean that you have to always sleep in this bed because some children it's very important for them but some children it's um they're more flexible and it's more important just that they know what to expect so if the parent is okay with every night at 3 a.m they're switching the bed and their child is okay with that too then that's fine right yes, it is it's uh, the only thing we have to keep in mind is that they don't have a clock or as long as they don't know just how. for example no but this is something because something that i hear where parents are like yeah from three o'clock or from four o'clock my child is allowed to come to my bed which is no problem with that if everybody feels comfortable with that however Then you have children waking up at two or at three, and then it's not time yet. So they will call their parents or go to bed and they put back to their bed. And so it's, it's, no, that doesn't make sense because children don't have a concept of the yes. clock. So just make sure that you, you uh, organize something that makes that transition or that organization clear to your child that, like, when you wake up, uh, And um, I don't know, it's no light outside, no time to come to a bed. As soon as there's a bit of light outside, you can come to, to a bed. Or if you wake up and your door is still closed, then you can keep sleeping in your bed. When if you wake up and you see that your door, your door is a bit open, then you can come to a bed. Some, some kind of signal that... Uh, I love that. That's a really good easier. idea. Let's talk a bit about, since we're on the topic, uh, co-sleeping. So I think co-sleeping can be something which is really beautiful and really special for yes. the family if everyone is on board. But I've recently heard a story and just a sleep journey that another, one of my families went through and it made me wonder maybe... Even if the family is really, even if the parents are really happy and welcoming to that situation and the child is um, not sleeping very well, perhaps it's not the right choice for some children. I was wondering maybe if they're waking up a lot, perhaps it's the movements or the sleep noises of someone else or something isn't working for them. Does that, do you ever, have you ever experienced that? I would say the main word in co-sleeping is still sleeping so a co like a, a well adjusted co-sleeping situation is in a situation where everybody's sleeping well not just the parents not just the child or the children it's also something that you choose because of your family values and not because you can't 
like your child can't sleep without it or this is the only way that you get rest for older children obviously for babies it's a bit different but it, it should be more choice than something that you force to organize to find sleep and it should still be sleep um, in it i think also that the more children are growing the more they enjoy having their own space so it's it's many many different ways of co-sleeping maybe it's also like having the bed of your child in your bedroom in that case this this corner has to be a real corner and not just the bed on the side because it's your bedroom most likely you're like the parents bedroom most likely they have all their things there and uh, it's more comfortable for the child if the child also has his corner with a few of his things, maybe a few books for the night, maybe this like calm toy or this little fur toy, maybe with a carpet on the floor to delimitate uh, the space more clearly, a picture on the wall, something that makes that corner his corner or her corner and not just like this is the parent bedroom and here you have just your bed. You've beautifully described the Montessori sleeping area. Beautifully. That's exactly <laughs> okay. what the Montessori sleep zone is. It's a space which is prepared specially for the child. So they know this is my space. This is where I can find rest. And even in a co-sleeping family, uh, Children are taking naps during the day and the parents usually are not. So I, I still recommend that they have that space, even if at night they're a co-sleeping family, mm -hmm. so that in the day the child isn't forced to sleep in this family bed alone, because I don't think that's re really fair. That, you know, if, if the family sleeps together at night, yeah. then this child has this huge bed without his family. And I think that would feel, for me, I, I, in that situation, I would feel um, lonely. Yeah. But not every child would, of course, but it makes sense that they should also have their rest space where they can go whenever they want to have rest yes. uh, when they're sleeping alone. How do you feel about that? Definitely. Definitely. It's, uh, they often associate um, sleeping spaces with everything that comes with. That's why it's so difficult, for example, for children when their parents will lie down next to them at bedtime and then leave or lie down next to their bed to make them fall asleep and then not be there it doesn't look like the situation when they fell asleep if it's a family bed it's supposed to be filled with the family and this is something that we have to keep in mind so indeed uh, nap time can be in in their own little spot and the family the family bed for for the night time yeah so what is the difference between this situation you describe with uh waiting till your little one's fallen asleep and then leaving the room rather than saying good night and letting them you know transition from awake to sleep uh, by themselves where is what is the difference between those things that when you're when your child will wake up your child will be in a completely different situation um, than the situation he or she was when uh, they fell asleep that's essential that's very very important so um, 
if you if you decide to fall asleep next to your child then the perfect child situation would be that then you fall asleep together and then you spend the night together mm -hmm. but usually parents can't uh, sleep from seven till seven so it's not really what happened um, if you give the tools and if you support your child to be comfortable with like honing their sleep and feeling comfortable like uh, falling asleep on their own then it's something that they can repeat during the night i usually don't work so much of what to do during the night because once again i mean it's nap time it's night time and sleep is a primary need so it's not really something that you have to work hard on like, also you physically can't because you are also exhausted at that time it yeah. needs to be calm and quiet no matter what right exactly so it's um to 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 have a child having better nights you have to kind of make better days mm -hmm. and a part of it is the bedtime so when a child knows how to fall asleep independently at bedtime they will just in most of the case when it's no food association or other things are going on during the night they will just do it during the night as well because it's comfortable i mean i would love to fall asleep with someone massaging me every night However, it will make me very dependent. What would I do in the middle of the night when I can't fall asleep on my own then? We can also make, even as adults, make sleep associations, yeah. right? Yeah. For example, I think one most people have is sleeping with a sheet or a blanket. Mm. Even in the summer, even in the hot summer, yeah. having a thin sheet is essential for most adults yeah. because we have such a strong association every day of our life we've always had something covering us and we yeah. can't physically it's hard to find sleep without it yeah. and I think it's so similar to a child having an association strongly with a lovey or a pacifier or getting a, getting rocked or, or yeah. massaged as you said by a specific person not even a person but a specific person yeah. so we should definitely talk about transitions Because anytime we're moving from a sleep schedule or losing a, a, one of these associations or changing the bed or changing something, there's always a transitional period for the child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it can be very, very difficult for them to, for the whole family to navigate that transition. What are some tips on how to approach making any kind of change or helping your child go through that at different moments in their life? Patience and repetition. This is the way we learn. And a lot of love. That often people will try something. It will not work the first day or the first night and then they will change. L like leaving time for children to adjust is a beautiful way to respect them so um, if you change from baby bed to toddler bed or to big child bed or whatever maybe the first night it will not be the best night they might need just time to adjust they might need to grieve as well the whole situation 
like growing up is beautiful and kind of scary and that's okay and um so doesn't matter which kind of transition you you do you can give a bit time to observe give few days to understand was it because it's new and new is exciting but uncomfortable is it that it was so exciting that my child stayed awake longer and then went too tired was it um, because something is actually uncomfortable that I have to change what it is and for that you need time to observe and to hear listen oh like look at yeah so I would say yeah time patience and compassion love yeah would you even explain to a small baby, you know, that the sleep situation is changing? Would you say to, for example, a six-month-old, usually you sleep right here, but tonight I'm putting your bed over here? Yes. Like, we, we should, we could speak with our children from the first days they are born. Like, we are, we are made to connect to understand each other, to communicate, to, to bond. Like, so you can, it's not about like how much you understand the word and the sentences you say, and, but they will definitely understand the intention you have. They will definitely understand your tone. They will understand that you address to them. I mean, they have so little control over their day. This is giving them a sense of like, I consider you and I go back on, I hear you, I see you, I love you. And it's, yeah, it's not so much like, do you understand the word bed and will you get this or that? No, maybe not. Maybe yes, you don't know, but address, address that. And um, yeah, so. I completely agree. Speak, 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 speak a lot. Explain. You can explain everything you do, everything that is going to happen. Like, even if it's to, like, change a diaper, you can explain. I also like to think that uh, the, the whole routine you have at, uh, for bedtime can become like a lullaby. you know. After you stop eating, you can say, like, okay, when you're done with your of your supper we're gonna go to the bathroom take the bath okay i'm just uh, the, the water is running you can undress and um, at the end of the bath saying like okay the bath is nearly over after the bath i'm gonna put your pj and so on and so forth to like announce the next step and make them comfortable that this is not something that they have to think about like what is going to happen next oh are we going to the bathroom today Maybe not. Like they have these thoughts, and the more we we communicate, the more they build that safety, and the more they feel comfortable, and the more they feel that we also build and trust. Which is, if she or he is doing something, then I will know. Which is like this is so Montessori. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I'm so glad that you can be on the podcast with me because um, you phrase it beautifully, beautifully, better than I can. 
I'm a little bit nervous about one question that I received because I have a very strong bias. So I'm just going to let you say what you want to say as a specialist in sleep and just... uh, Okay. So how do you feel about swaddling swaddle beds and sleep sacks? Is this the best solution for helping babies or toddlers get good rest if they're woken up by their movements? And I do have a very strong bias about this because in Montessori, um, we strongly believe in freedom of movement. So swaddling would only be used for babies who were born premature to recreate a feeling of the womb. Mm-hmm. Other, other than that, um, sleep sacks may be for warmth at night for babies, but I will not answer this question, but you go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, like... Babies have like this um, reflex, uh, this total reflex, like opening their arms um, suddenly in their sleep in the first uh, in their first weeks or months. Um, this can wake them up on the middle of their sleep, and um, so some parents are concerned about that, which is leading them to swaddling. On a medical side. Babies should not be swaddled after they're capable of turning their shoulders or their hips. So, no swaddle bed are recommended. And swaddling after, like, usually the maximum, the edge of three months, is prohibited. In terms of sleeping bags, like, we're living in a country that is fairly cold, uh, in winter, sleeping sacks can like keep them warm, like during the night, because they usually move a lot and they are not capable of putting their blanket back on themselves. So, as long as your child is not able to put back a blanket on itself or as long as your child doesn't have like a more steady way of sleeping you can use a sleep bag Uh, usually after 12 months they don't need sleeping bags anymore because their sleep is more stable they don't move so much so if they fall asleep with a blanket and you go back before you're going to sleep put back that blanket, it should be fine for the rest of the night. But they all have their own reasons, so it can be even earlier than that. I will not say that it's often later than that. Um, I know that some parents feel nervous about this transition from sleeping bag to blanket. I believe that we are the one who can, without pushing and without inducing anything, can support the growth of our children. So the same then for respecting when like they want more, they are just for more boundaries or showing more independence. When you see that your child is capable of playing peekaboo with putting something up and down their face, or when they show this capacity of moving fabrics uh, then you can say like, hey, you're so good at doing that. Why not trying with a blanket now? I think you're ready. Like bringing that sense of 
like you capable and I'm going to support you. It's not, it's not pushing. It's just, yeah, observing, supporting and giving the right tools. And the last question is this. We already mentioned it a little bit, but let's just revisit it one more time about the different attachments that children makes when that children make when it comes to sleep. For example, some will only sleep in their bed. They can't find sleep anywhere else. Some only sleep in their carriers. Some only can sleep if a, if they have a pacifier in or they have to be rocked in the arms and then carefully transferred somewhere else. Why do children become attached to only one way of finding sleep? And how can, you know, parents try to make sure that their child is not so dependent on them that they physically cannot sleep unless that thing is happening? I would say that we all have these associations. So it's not so much children, it's everybody, everyone has that. It's like some people will always make a tea go to the bathroom, look at their Instagram. And if they don't do that or turn their pillow, then they will not find sleep. So it's the most natural thing to have this kind of sleeping clues that children will develop. We're just more aware of that when actually we're part of it. So obviously if you become the, the lover of your child, you're gonna be very aware of his sleeping clues. So, I would say it's it's few things, and this is also going with them growing, but you mentioned motion. Motion is one of the, the main associations that uh, children have. Motion is really comforting for newborns. They need that. I mean, they were in an environment that was constantly moving without the gravity, so they need to be, like, held and... Um, contained and rock or uh, like have, have that, that feeling. However, the more they're growing, the less they're capable of uh, going in a deep sleep phase because of motion. Because a part of their brain stays awake because of that motion. That's why when you, trans you transfer them to their bed, they wake up. And when they were newborn, they didn't wake up because they were deeply asleep. But usually it's like between six and eight months, then this starts to, to develop. Um, once again, like from one child to another, you have like very um, big variations. But a part of their brain stays awake. So obviously if you transfer them or if they have their entire nap in the carrier, they're not going to feel arrested because they are not fully asleep. So that's one thing. Um, that's why a baby should at one point learn to uh, sleep more like on a stable ground, if I can say so. About like, I go back to the carrier. Maybe I'll think about that because I just uh, worked with a family who, had, uh, who, who was using the carrier for all sleeping moments. Um, but Sleeping like on a vertical position is not a problem for a newborn. It starts to be a bit more complicated for older baby because we don't sleep the same way vertically and if we have the chance to sleep lying down on a mattress. I don't know if you... I like sleeping in trains 
Uh, I think it's really nice. You have like the motion, the white noise. Um, so it's really easy to fall asleep, I think. Okay, if you don't have someone eating like a tuna sandwich next to you, which is happening a lot in France, <laughs> at least. Um, so you fall asleep. However, even if it was a long train ride, you don't wake up rested because you were sitting with motion. So even if it was... In the light. In the light. So even if it was very easy to fall asleep and you fell asleep maybe quicker than in your bed at night, you don't feel rested. And that's something that you that I like to think of when I have these parents who are telling me like, no, I don't understand. Like my child just had a nap of two hours in the career. Yeah, but it's like motion, vertical, and yeah, sometimes even light. So um, about the eating, uh, because this is also one a strong one. So when children are born, when babies are born, they're they, they born with like a 23 hours reason. So they can sleep, eat, play, like observe, be present all over the clock. Um, the more they are growing, the less this is possible. However, before the circadian rhythm are taking place, then eating becomes like very helpful to find sleep. Because when you have a full belly, you feel sleepy. However, the more they are growing, the more this is also disturbing their sleep, like we spoke about before. But it's, it keeps being a very nice feeling. I mean, obviously, if you, if you have a full belly, you feel sleepy and it's nice to fall asleep. However, should it be the only way? Probably not. And this is, this is really related to like, how old is the child? So for the pacifier, suction is one of the primary needs. I mean, it's, uh, it's important that babies have that because like this, they have the, the capacity to feed and the desire to feed, which is good because like this, they're growing well and uh, putting on weight and they have this urge of sucking and being attached to their mom or to the source of nutrition to smooth themselves. Well done, nature. But this is not something that will last forever. So um, putting things in their mouth to calm down, uh, to find peace is natural. Like even children who don't have pacifier will put their hands uh, in their mouth. Later on, when their teeth are growing, they also learn that putting their mouth, their, their hands in their mouth is moving. Uh, so you have that. However, it's not something that should be promoted too long. Uh, so when children have their whole set of teeth, for example, it's, uh, it's good to think about a way out for the pacifier. I like to think that even if for most of the parents, pacifier is just like a piece of plastic, which stinks most of the time. For children, this is very precious, like a lolly. So when you get rid of it, I, I like to think that it's nice to do it with respect. So you just don't throw it in the bin and be like, 
Yeah, that's our... Maybe you... Uh, in, in, in Berlin, I know we have pacifier trees where you can attach your pacifier and say bye to the pacifier. You can... Okay, this is not very environmental friendly, but I would still say it. Maybe it's an environmental friendly way to do that, but you can attach your... Uh, the pacifier to like a balloon with helium and say bye. I like to also say stories to children. Like I remember with my oldest daughter, I told her that pacifiers uh, also want to travel. So we, we just went in this very um, beautiful image of what a pacifier could discover and how she would travel through the skies. And going in this like, you know, not everything is rational for children, and sometimes we can dream with them. Or for me, it was really beautiful to dream with her about that pacifier because it's not just them being attached to it, it's also for us parents a way to be like, okay, not a baby anymore, we're going to the next step now. I think that is very important to acknowledge the, the role that the attachment had in mm -hmm. their life mm -hmm. because it's difficult to make transitions and many parents feel guilt because they're yeah. they have to watch their child struggle and it is very challenging and a way to help the child move through the transition and to help the parents allow themselves to work through it in a kind and respectful way is to acknowledge mm -hmm. the place that you know, the pacifier had, or not just pacifier, I should stay away from pacifier because I'm sensitive about it, <laughs> but... <laughs> or, you know, like... Or any, anything, a crib, for example. A crib. Or a, a small bed to a different bed. Yeah. And say, um, to we say in Montessori to do it with the child so they can see, like you're saying, to say goodbye respectfully to a pacifier so that they have the emotional memory um, and the visual memory of that thing leaving mm -hmm. or not being there anymore so they can remember when you say so you don't just say oh you know this is your bed now they're also remembering oh yeah i saw when we took apart the other bed and put it away yeah and i remember that it's not there anymore so it's not they're not struggling as much like what is going on why can't i sleep right now it's yeah. you can explain you know, this this your old bed served a, a big purpose in your life, and it, and we miss it a little bit, and that's okay, because they're also experiencing a loss, like you said. They have to go through a grieving process, and maybe yeah. it sounds silly, but it is a, they're grieving the loss of a little piece of plastic, but to them it was yeah. a source of great comfort, and you know, and we have to acknowledge their and this their is feelings. I guess even stronger when we speak about winning, night winning. You know, where you have to acknowledge both sides and say, like, I doesn't matter if it's the end of your breastfeeding journey or just the end of that that way of breastfeeding. For example, if you just might win, to say, I love doing that. It was such a great period, and I will have to learn with you how to go into that new phase. And I feel a bit nervous, but I also know how strong we are. And I also know how capable you are. So to just not stop it, but say like, okay, yeah, it was great. This is new. It's exciting. And let's 
Like, go through that together. So, and this is like the main message maybe I have about like these sleeping cues is that we can, it's not just, and in general in parenting, it's not just about them. We can always kind of have a look at the way we feel about things, the way we feel about undoing the creep, the way we feel about the fact that you're not going to see your baby during the night, that you will really be separated from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. It's not easy. It's not easy. Or at least in my experience as a mom, it was always like a process of being like, okay, the whole night, really? You're not going to see each other? No? Okay. I'm just going to go and give you a kiss goodnight when I go to bed. It's a new phase. So um, it's important to say to parents to trust themselves as well, that they can do it as well. Yeah, and to, to acknowledge what this is making inside of them. Mm -hmm. Their own feelings Their together own feelings. with the child. Yeah, because children can feel that as well. So, and transitions are not easy for adults either. Mm -mm. So, you know, you, you can support better your child if you're aligned with yourself first. I think it's a big sign that, of course, they do feel, they do feel the emotion, even if they cannot communicate it. Because mm -hmm. how else do you explain that the parent is feeling the same way as the child? We can really sympathize with them because, mm -hmm. you know, we can say you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed. This crying is is really hard, yeah. you know, and because the parent is also exhausted, overwhelmed, possibly crying as well. You know, and so you can really show compassion, work through all these emotions with your child from an observational point of view and communicate with them like, you're pushing me away right now. You need space. I also need space. I'm here for you and I'm going to be just on the other side of the room yeah, or the other side of the door or something like this. Yeah, and remember that it's uh, very safe. So even if they feel not safe, even if they feel overwhelmed, even if it's too much for them, you can be the one bringing that to them. And remember, remembering like, okay, we're living in a, in a nice environment. I created a nice sleeping environment. I'm loving, I have a, I'm emphasizing. I, my child is well fed, the diaper, is change or he could or she could go to the bathroom and she or he is overwhelmed and not feeling that comfortable i'm there and i'm not in the same um storm this is not helping perhaps that's the most important thing just to believe that you are doing enough that you are enough for your child and yeah. your child is is okay because she is loved and she is safe and you're doing a great job yeah. even if you're going through a transition or a struggle or a challenge and it's no perfect parents i think this is something that i can't like stop repeating nobody is perfect and that's that's great mm -hmm. and it's it's a, it's a beautiful gift we do to our children to not be perfect of course. So, and not expect them to be perfect either. Yeah, no, nothing. That would be exhausting. No, both sides. 
And also what I, um, what I tell parents is what is perfect for your child today is not going to be perfect tomorrow because we are always changing and we're always growing and always developing. And the only way to be the best you can be is by observing and allowing them to change the way they need to and meeting them where they're at every day. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all the questions that Thank you. we have, actually. Thank you. They were great. <laughs> Thank you for speaking with me today. Is there anything else you wanted to add about the work you're doing in Berlin for families, how they can find you? Uh, yeah, sure. I, you can find my website on www.parentsofberlin.com. It's uh, my Instagram as well as uh, parents.of.berlin. I will put all your contact information as well online so that anyone in Berlin or outside Berlin can get in touch with you if they want to have a one-on-one -on -one consultation. I'm glad to work with many families. I think I'm learning from each of them um, and I'm glad to share my knowledges. So thank you for the invitation. It was great. Me too. For me too. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, everyone. This has been Chloe Huth from Parents of Berlin and Caitlin Johnson from Montessori Mother Early Learning Center. Until next time.